Encounter Church. How are you this morning? It is. You're doing great. And you look great with masks and everything. It is so good to be with you, to be able to sing with a church again. It's a beautiful thing, even through a mask, even fighting slight lightheadedness and getting the opportunity to sing. So it's so good to see you all here this morning. And those of you online watching online, we're so glad that you're a part of our audience this morning. My name is Joe Hayes. I am the new location pastor at Encounter Church, and my uh, wife and I and our three kids just a few months ago moved back to West Michigan, and we are so happy. You guys, we're so happy to be in Michigan. It's great. We just spent a couple days camping. Michigan is the best. You guys have known what's up for a long time, and we finally are back, and we're super happy to be here. Um, our task as a part of being in part of the Encounter team is to launch a church in the Fulton Heights neighborhood, and we're so excited about that opportunity. We're in the process right now of just starting to renovate what used to be Mayfair Church, which is merged with Encounter. Uh, over the next few months, we're going to be renovating, and then the hope is that in the fall, that building will become like a video site for Encounter Church, and then we're looking to have a grand opening in 2021 at some point. So we're excited about that. You know, uh, we've all had to make adjustments in coronavirus world, and church is no different in that as far as that goes. But really what our hope is, is not that we put another encounter church in the city to make it easier or more convenient for people to, to worship and to go to church. Really our, our hope is that that location would be a, like a missional hub for people like you, for your friends, for your family to be missionaries in the city of Grand Rapids. And that really is the heart of this church, which is why we're so excited to be here. Dirk and the rest of the team and the lead team, the volunteers, you are committed to this crystal clear vision and mission to watch and help people far from God experience new life in Christ. So that's what we're a part of and we're, why we're so glad to be here. And in this morning, I'm really, really excited because for the last few weeks, Dirk has been teaching through this message series called In My Feelings, and he's been looking at biblical ways to approach certain emotions. And he's covered things like envy and anger, and he's done so well uh, opening the scriptures and, and teaching through those. And you guys, he gave me love. To conclude this series, I get love, which is like the best. Like, he gave me the dessert, which is so great, because I have to be honest with you. I love love. I love it. I love love songs, love stories, love letters, love notes, love bugs, love birds, uh, love shack is a decent song. Um, I am a fan of love. I am grateful to say that there's lots of people in my life that I love. Some of them are right here. Hey, guys. Uh, and I think that they love me back. Okay. They're figuring it out. Uh, there are a lot of things in my life that I love, and none of those things love me back, but I still, I still love them. So this morning, questions like, what is love? How do I know when I love someone? How do I know when they love me back? Can a dog truly love me? I say yes. Can I marry a pizza? You know, things like this that you may be asking, uh, these questions and many, many more may or may not be answered as we're opening the scriptures together. But before we do, before we jump in to God's word, let's pray together and ask for his insight on this passage. Jesus, we are so grateful that you've called us to be something and to be a part of something that we could never accomplish on our own. God, we want to be better at receiving love from others. God, we certainly want to be more able to give love freely. 
And we believe that your word has insight for us, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us insight as we open up your scriptures. Uh, God, would your Holy Spirit translate these truths into our lives that we might live differently. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Now, God's word has some beautiful things to say about love, and there's this really interesting passage in the New Testament that if you have a Bible or your phone, you can turn there. It's, it's 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be looking there together. If you don't have your Bible with you or online, that's okay. We're going to have the Scriptures on the screen. And, and just for a second, if you're here in the room or watching online, and honestly, if you're not sure what you believe about church, the Bible, uh, not even sure how you feel about Jesus, I want you to know that I'm so glad that you're here today. I think that all of us desire to be better at love, to to handle uh, relationships with more maturity, to effectively care for people that matter most in our lives well, to receive and to give love. And so I believe that we're all going to have something that we can get from this today. And, and for those of us that are Christ followers, for those of us that have committed our lives to Jesus, there is a clear calling in Scripture to live differently in the world, and we're going to look at that together. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says this. It's on the screens. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, let us love one another. Now, Let's do this if we can. If you feel comfortable, just for focus and attention, and almost letting like God's kind of spirit speak over our hearts with the scripture, if you would close your eyes, I want to read this one more time as we start our, our time together. This is what it says. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's beautiful. And right out of the gate, we notice a couple things. The first is God showed his love among us. God demonstrates, he manifests, he reveals his love among each of us. In the original language that John wrote, this expression really just means to make it clear, to make it visible. It's not foggy. It's not vague or abstract. It's a real thing. It's almost like it's right out in front of us, that we can see it clearly. Picture a visible and clear like trail sign as you're hiking in the woods that you see it and it's right there and it leads to something. It, it leads to Jesus. In fact, you could probably say that Jesus is, is the sign. And when you follow that sign of God's love, it leads to something called abundant life. That's what he said, that we might live through him. The result of God's love in Jesus is new life available. In his gospel, John says that you would have life and have it to the full. This idea that you have a live life, there's almost a redundancy to it. Man, in this idea that God's love is clear, that it's almost like a sign marked out in front of us, that it's right there for us to see, is a really beautiful concept. 
But perhaps you have times where you feel like it's not very clear. I know I have times where it feels like this clear, visible love that should be right in front of me is very difficult to make out. It's very difficult to see, and and it's not because it's unclear. It's because my vision has a tendency to get cloudy. My ability to see clearly the things that God has put in front of me are often a little more foggy, a little more vague, a little less clear. And for me, it's often uh, my own selfishness. It's often my own self-interest that I'm acting in, Um, my brokenness. My sin, sometimes known and sometimes unknown, has a tendency to make it very difficult to see what God has made so clear. Which is why this next verse that he he shares in verse 10 is so important. He He says something twice in verse 9 and 10. He says, so God sent his son. God sent his son. It's so important he mentions it in both verses that this is not a crush from a distance. It's not some distant, unrequited love But God has come near, he's come close, and he has made his love known physically near us through Jesus. This beautiful picture that God backs up his affection with his action. God backs up his affection for us with his action towards us. And if you're in a relationship, if you're pursuing a relationship with someone, a good question to ask yourself about the health of that relationship is this. Does my affection for that person, is it matched in my action on behalf of or towards that person? Man, it, the people that, I ma- that matter most in my life, my kids, my wife, my family, is my affection towards them being backed up by my action for them because God's love is backed up in his action. His love is made known by what he does. He sent his son. And before we continue in this scripture, I think it's important to go, like, who's writing this? This is really cool stuff, but, like, who's writing this? And so let's learn a little bit more about John the Apostle, one of the 12 disciples that Jesus called to follow him early in his ministry. He was one of the kind of the inner circle three that followed Jesus most closely, and he was even referred to as the one that Jesus loved, which is a really interesting, almost like a nickname. Uh, He was writing this letter 30 to 60 years after Jesus, when the growing movement of believers, which had become the early church, was facing all sorts of huge issues, persecution from the Roman government, changes over in leadership as older church uh, leaders began to die away, and there were younger leaders coming in with all sorts of different theology and philosophy that needed to be checked and corrected. Um, And John is a hugely important and respected leader in the church. You could kind of call him like a founding father of the early church. And this letter is a little different than the other book that he has in the New Testament called, cleverly, John, which is the fourth book in the New Testament. It was one of the Gospels and was really written to non-Christian, non-believers, people who didn't know about Jesus. He wanted to tell the story to get the word out about who Jesus was. That was the Gospel of John. Now, the letter of John, First John, is really written to the church written to people who have given their life over to him, that they would be encouraged to live differently because of what God had done through Jesus. But, but think about this. So this is super interesting to me. John was a, an eyewitness of the ministry and work of Jesus. 
That means for over three years, he was side by side walking with these other disciples as Jesus lived his life. So if you think of any story that you know about Jesus, the likelihood that John experienced that firsthand, that he was present in that moment, is pretty high. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. John was there. When Jesus walked on water, John was there, and he saw it with his own eyes. When Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus confronted religious leaders, when Jesus was crucified and when he was raised, John saw it. So he isn't speaking like from the sidelines. He isn't talking about love as a concept. He has seen it in action in the form of Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing when he calls us to love he knows what he's talking about. There's actually this story in the history books, a, an early church historian called Eusebius. I'm pretty sure that's how you say his name, but if I say it confidently, you'll just trust me. Uh, Eusebius tells this story about John when he was an older man, a church leader, up in age. He was visiting other churches in the region to provide wisdom and leadership for these leaders, and he was meeting with a bishop in a local church community. And there was another young man there who had recently given himself to the faith and showed a lot of potential. And John was very invested in this young man. I'm going to call him Robbie, just because we don't have his name. And before John left to go to visit other churches, John sat down with the bishop, and he had a very serious conversation, not necessarily about the future of the church, but about the future of Robbie. And he said, Robbie has a lot of potential as a leader, and, but he's very young. He needs discipleship. He needs training and mentoring. He needs care. And he also needs protection and support. I'm entrusting you, Bishop, with Robbie's life. And I'm going to return in a few years. And when I come back, I want you to give an account for Robbie. So it was after that that John left and traveled to other churches. And he was gone for, I think, several years and came back on church business to help continue to mentor this bishop, and lots of things they had to talk about, but the first thing that John mentions is, what do you think? Hey, where's Robbie? What's going on with Robbie? I noticed that he's not here. And the bishop, I think the bishop was expecting this. He was distraught, and he said, John, uh, Robbie is dead. Robbie is dead to God. And John needed an explanation. What in the world? What, what happened? I, the one thing I asked you to do, you had one job, Bishop. I asked, I entrusted him to your care. The bishop told the story that things were going great at first, but, but Robbie began to build friendships with this group of men who were thieves. And they slowly kind of brought them, brought Robbie into their group of robbers. And he since has left the faith and he is with these band of robbers as their leader in the mountainside. And John wept. He was so upset that this person that he had cared for, this person with potential, had, had lost their way in the faith. And he immediately asked for a horse. Give me a horse and get me a guide. Take me to the hideout. So in, in his old age, he gets on a horse. He goes to the hills where these robbers are known to live and he makes his way known, and he gets himself captured by these robbers and says, take me to your captain. Take me to your leader. And this is what Eusebius says. The leader, meanwhile, Robbie, was waiting, armed. But when he recognized John approaching, he turned in shame to flee. But John, forgetting his age, pursued him with all of his might, crying out, why, my son, do you flee from me? 
Your own father, I am unarmed, I am old. Fear not, you still have hope of life. I will give account to Christ for you. If need be, I will willingly endure your death as the Lord suffered death for us. For you, I will give up my life. Stand, believe, Christ has sent me to you. The young man threw down his weapons. He ran after John and in tears confessed his sin. He hugged him. He reconciled himself to Jesus and returned with John to again live a life of faith. Now this, guys, this is the man who is writing these words. This is the one who didn't just understand the concept of love, but was called to live a life of love. Remember, John was there when Jesus taught about the good shepherd who had a hundred sheep. John was there when then Jesus said that if he had a hundred sheep and 99 were safe, but one had walked away, that that good shepherd would go pursue the one sheep. And John lived that kind of life. He went to pursue the one lost robber. And he is saying to us, this is love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The word atoning, the Scripture speaks of it in all sorts of different concepts. It's, a, it's from the Old Testament, a, a, a Hebrew um, term. And the word really means to cover, um, even having roots in the same word that we get the word to steal, that idea of kleptomania, to take away. The idea is a transaction of removal to take away or hide or to put it away as if it never was. And this is the atoning uh, sacrifice that we need so John defines our understanding of true, biblical, Jesus-modeled love by explaining that God's love, God's love is both the start and the standard for true love. God's love is the start and the standard, and again, it is backed up by action. John is saying that God's love is clear, it's that sign on the trail, but God's love is also measurable. God's love is is measurable, and this is what I mean. Um, scientists have actually done a lot of really interesting studies in the last few years to measure the amount of cortisol and dopamine that a, the brain emits under intense emotions associated with love. Now, that is very fascinating stuff, and that's not what I mean. When I say love is measurable, mostly what I mean is donuts. And I think we can all agree, because we had donuts here. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Like, I'm responsible for the donuts. I've cooked, I woke up very early to cook them for you. Uh, let me tell you about this. So, you, you know that um, for the last eight years, my family has lived in California. We, uh, four of those years, lived in a very small and ridiculously expensive apartment about a mile from the beach, and we loved it. It was great. Costa Mesa. And three blocks from that apartment was a donut shop called Sidecar Donuts. And if, has anyone ever been there? A lot of people are looking. I got to tell you guys, Sidecar Donuts may have changed my life. That picture right there is $6,000 worth of donuts. Uh, they're very expensive. But once you've had them, you're like, okay, I, I'll justify that $4 per donut cost. They're really, really great. 
And so at basically every Saturday as a family, we would walk the three blocks to Sidecar. We would get a few donuts. We would pay an, just a ridiculous amount of money. We would sit in the parking lot, talk about our week. We'd talk about the adventures we were going to have that weekend. And Sidecar kind of became a part of our life. We loved Sidecar Donuts. Uh, but then after a few years, we got the opportunity to move. We moved kind of closer into the suburbs, closer to the church that we were serving at. And we were about 20, 25 minutes away from the beach, and we were about 20 to 25 minutes away from Sidecar. So as you can imagine, the frequency at which we stopped for those donuts, it went down quite a bit. Surprisingly, our, our spending budget went up because we had a lot more money because we weren't spending them on these donuts. But what was amazing is every now and then we'd jump in the car, we'd drive to Sidecar, and we'd enjoy it. Or better yet, we'd have friends over for brunch or whatever, and they would bring donuts with them, which is the best thing. So our love for Sidecar was about like 15 minutes worth, maybe 10 minutes worth. But once it hit to 20 minutes, we don't love Sidecar as much as we used to. Uh, in a couple of months, I'm going to be visiting California, going back to hang out with some friends, and I'm going to play my cards right, and I'm going to go to Sidecar. I'm going to get a donut. It's going to be great. And I will go to California, and while I'm there, I will have a donut. But I am not going to go to California for a donut. That would be insane, because I do not love those donuts enough to drive 32 hours or a four-hour flight. So that's what I mean when I say that love is measurable. My love for those donuts is about 10 minutes worth. And that's true for all of us, and it's true for all of the things that we love. Our love is measurable in the amount of time, space, cost that we're willing to pay. My, my love for my family, my love for my coworkers, my love for the things in my life, honestly, the love I have for my hobbies, I can measure it by the, the physical distance that I have gone for those things. I can measure my love for my family in the emotional distance, my, my willingness to be vulnerable, my willingness to show empathy and care and support. Often, things in our lives, we're able to measure our, our financial uh, love for those things by looking at our checkbooks and seeing where our money goes. We are able to measure the things that we love. And this is true for God, because we know and we choose to believe that Jesus left his place in heaven, that he took the form of a baby, grew into a man, and walked the streets of Jerusalem. He walked the hills of Israel. He preached and he healed. He met with the poor and the oppressed and the rich and the proud. He met with the blind and the broken. He cared for them. He carried his own cross up a hill he gave his life. It was not taken. He was crucified, and he was raised again to show his love for us. This is what John is talking about, that the love of God is measurable. David H. Stern, a Jewish messianic theologian, not the basketball commissioner, said, to love much means to give much. To love much means to give much. And this is how John says it in verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So friends, we are called to live and love in response to and imitation of God's love. Because it's been clear. 
It's been clear in Jesus, and it's been measurable in Jesus, and it's also God's love that goes first. God set the example through Jesus that he stepped towards us even when we weren't able to go that distance. There's another historical story about John that in his much, much later years, years after he had uh, pursued the robber in the hills, he was a church elder in Ephesus. And as the church gathered, he was often too weak to walk, so he would be carried in by church leaders and often too weak to speak, and he would just repeat this one line, Dear children, love one another. Dear children, love one another. And he'd say it again. Dear children, love one another. And it apparently became a little bit of a thing because this was all he would say. And sometimes the church leaders would honestly get a little annoyed, like he didn't have any other material. And he would, they would say, how come you don't, why is that all that you keep saying? Like, give us something else. And he would patiently and graciously remind them, this is the command that our Father has given us. And if this was all that we did, this would be enough. Because the example has been clear and the example has been measurable. And I don't think, though, that John would say that this is like a do more message. It's not a, hey, try harder, work harder at this, do better, ramp up, earn it message. Like, let's go out and get it. We got to love really well. I don't think he would say that at all. Remember, he was the one that chased after the robber because he believed that he was the robber in the hills. He believed that he was the sheep that had been lost. So he's not saying try harder because you can't, you can't cross that divide. John couldn't go the distance to earn his way to God, and neither can we. He was saying, he was saying you can receive it. This isn't a do more message. This is a, a stop, believe, and receive message. This is a stop trying to earn it message and trust that God's love is real for you message. So when we think of the coworkers in our lives that maybe talk behind our backs or have even taken credit for the work that we've done, what does that love look like? When we think of our siblings who do hurtful and painful things, when we think of the person down the street who is a little low on the self-awareness meter and continues to over-ask, invite themselves over, what does love and graciousness look like for them? Man, when we think when we think of people who think differently or vote differently or believe differently, what does love that John talks about mean for us and for them? Again, it's the example that God has given us, that God's love has been clear, His love has been measurable, and His love went first. He took the first steps to us. And as a church, we are committed to being 
the kind of community that loves the world well. And my goodness, we cannot be that as a collective body of believers unless it's true about us as individuals. So we commit to understanding and receiving the love that God's given us. And we commit to extending that love to others. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the life that you lived that set the bar, that set the standard for true, true love. And first, we have to receive it. We can't earn it. But my goodness, we, we want to receive it. And we do. And God, once we receive that, we can begin the process of, of living it out. Because when we receive it, it changes us. So Holy Spirit, would you, would you translate these words into our hearts? Could we live differently because of the example that Jesus sent? Because of the example that John followed? And we commit to that same love that we ought to love others well. And we do it because you loved us first. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.